The Heal Podcast has been created to explore my favorite ingredients for a long-term, sustainable, healthy human experience. We take an informed look into topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanding consciousness. Heal stands for healthy eating and living. So why not sit back, relax, be present, and enjoy the conversations about this unique gift we were all given called life. If you feel this podcast has resonated with you, please feel free to share it with your friends, family, and colleagues, as the gift of knowledge is something wondrous. Thank you for your open hearts and minds. Alrighty, let's get into some delicious healing. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Noni Gove grew up in her family home in the southern highlands of New South Wales, Australia. She is a diploma of dental assisting and numerous diplomas in many forms of remedial therapeutic massage. She is interested in alternative therapies and the mind and how it operates. To find out more about Noni Gove, please visit her on her Instagram and also Facebook at Noni Gove, N-O-N-I-G-O-V-E. Noni, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Oh, I'm thrilled and delighted to be talking to you. Thank you. This is going to be a great podcast. I do want to just start off by saying that you are an inspiration for so many people in the world, and you're a very dear friend of my mum's as well. So that's how we got to know each other. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I hope I inspire somebody, even if it's just one or two. I don't mind. I I just have such a wonderful life that I want to share it with people. And that's what I'd love to explore with you today. That idea of inspiration, is your goal to inspire others or is your goal to inspire yourself? Uh, Well, firstly, I think I have to uh, look after myself before, you know, I always say you can't give away anything you haven't got. So I need to inspire myself before I inspire others. And the same as I need to love and and, uh, love myself unconditionally before I can uh, love others unconditionally. So, yeah, it starts with me. And, uh, you know, if it goes out to uh, the wider community, well, that's great. And that's what I've hoped to do with the mind, body and spirit retreats that I've been running for the last two years in Thailand. And uh, some people have told me that, you know, it's been life-changing and that's really, you know, good to hear. They've changed it. I, I've just been the, the, the catalyst, you know. 
So, um, that, you know, that's what I hope to do. I would love to start off, if you don't mind me asking, but uh, how old are you currently? I'm 81. You are the oldest person that I've had on the podcast so far, and I would love to dive into this straight up. Are you still learning about yourself? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's an ongoing process. I'm going to keep learning until the day I die, you know, my last breath. I'm, I'm doing, uh, you know, bits and pieces all the time and um, doing more, not so much courses, but I've done retreats, I've run retreats, um, I've learnt to uh, Qigong and I've been teaching Qigong in my later years. It's a form of Tai Chi and, of course, it takes uh, in mindfulness and breathing and, you know, I, I'll never stop learning. I'm just one of those people. And talk to me about teaching as well, being the student but also at the same time being a teacher. Well, I believe that, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears and if people are in, in the right stage of their evolution, if you like, uh, and they pick up on what I have to uh, say, that's, you know, that's, the, that's all that I, I teach. I teach love and uh, compassion and loving kindness and um, gratitude. You know, I have, I'm very, very grateful for the childhood that I had, the years that I, you know, had, and I'm grateful for my later years and despite a few sort of uh, health hiccups, um, I still have a wonderful life. So. What more could you ask for? Well, what more do you ask for? That's what I want to know. At 81, what do you ask for from yourself each and every day? Yeah, well, I, I you know, still want to get up and, and um, do my I, I rebound. I've got a rebounder every morning. It's not a just your normal fitness rebounder. It's um, geared for your lymphatic system and uh, it gets the, the lymphatic system moving. So that keeps me pretty healthy. So that's the first thing I do in the morning. And then I walk, I've got a Fitbit, and uh, I walk at least 10,000 steps a day, and it's very seldom that I don't do those 10,000. And I keep a very positive attitude, and uh, I swim and do exercises in the pool too. I do that. I've been doing that in the, the afternoon just recently. And, of course, in the summertime, living at Bondi Beach, I, I go in the surf and I do some body surfing. But I've always been active and always played uh, sport. I've played competition squash and tennis. I played polo cross for 20 years on a horse. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, as a kid, uh, I mean, I started riding in the Sydney show when I was seven, I think, and probably finished when I was about 27. So I've always been active and loved, loved sport. Uh, and I've instilled that in my kids too. They, um, I started them playing competition squash when they were only, you know, tiny little fellows. And uh, still, you know, my daughter is in her 50s and she goes to Pilates. My son has his workout routine. So um, there's still that in my kids. I've also instilled uh, in them how to clean their teeth because I'm a qualified uh, dental health uh, educator. <laughs> That's one of my, one of my uh, <laughs> incarnations here. And I've, I've reinvented myself quite a few times uh, in my life and um, I, I intend to keep doing it. Okay. Reinventing yourself. How could people understand what that means? And give us some examples, please. 
at 52, I did a uh, remedial massage course. I drove, I was living in the Southern Highlands and I drove every Tuesday night for six months to Sydney to uh, do my first Swedish massage and then I got loved it so much that I then did another six months of remedial massage and then I liked that so much that I did another six months of sports medicine. So uh, then I thought uh, I basically did it because my my husband at the time, my ex-husband now, had a bad accident, a, a bull tipped him over a fence and injured his pelvis. So I, I initially did it to help mask him and then uh, I got so involved that I started my own practice in, in the Southern Highlands and then I moved to Sydney and I was massaging at the uh, Bondi Icebergs for a while when I moved here at the age of uh, six in my 60s and people said to me you know what are you going to do to work and I said oh I'll get a job and they said oh <laughs> and I walked down to the icebergs and uh, which I live very close to and uh, I said to the woman there you know any chance of a, you know doing some part-time massage and she said come down and give me a massage and I'll tell you whether you got the job or not so I made, gave her a massage and she said when can you start and so I did that for a couple of years Yes, and before that, uh, as I said, before I was married, I was a dental assistant and I uh, came to Sydney for a year to do my diploma of dental assisting and then when I uh, went back to live in, in the Southern Highlands later on, I became a dental health educator teaching people how to clean their teeth, basically, and um, I'm proud to say that I've got two kids in their 50s and they haven't got a filling in their head. They did have to have some orthodontic work, but um, so that's you know it's it, I've changed courses just like I've uh, taken up you know now teaching qigong. I've been uh, as a student for twenty years, and now when the uh, masters away, I take the master class. So I've studied I've done a study tour in China and another one in Bali of qigong, and it sort of fits in with my my lifestyle now. So that's what I mean about reinventing myself. I've had, you know, several different jobs, and uh, but they're all things that I've loved. And I think this is another of my philosophies that you've got to do what you love in this life. If it's no good being in a job you hate and uh, resisting it and draining yourself and so forth. So, yeah, that's that's uh, all. Of, you know, and I've oh, also written three books <laughs> as well, <laughs> and. Uh, the last one being Off Your Rocker. And one of our favourites, yeah. Favourites. <laughs> I love the title. Let's delve into Off Your Rocker for a minute. And, and what does that mean? And why did you pick that title for your book? Well, you've got to be a bit off your rocker to do some of the things that I do and go to some of the places that I, that I go to. And it's to inspire people to get off their rocking chairs and, and go out travelling and broaden your mind and learn about other cultures and religions and societies and learn how the other half live and see how well off we are in Australia. And I want to talk to you about fear because what you're talking about here to obviously are you encouraging the elderly or are you encourage everybody to get off their, their ass or their rocker? Everybody. <laughs> it's a little more difficult with the with the elderly because they've got aches and pains. I mean, and so have I. I, I avoided a uh, back operation in the 1980s by uh, using homeopathics and, and diet, basically, uh, juicing and uh, dieting. And that was, uh, you know, when you, when you ride horses, you fall off horses, and I've had some, some doozies. 
But in 1980, you know, the doctor wanted to give me a back operation. I said, oh, no, no way, I'm not having an operation and uh, I haven't had to have one. But I managed it, you know. So I think fear, uh, you know, it can it can send you down a really uh, depressing track, fear. And uh, one of the uh, chapters in my book, Off Your Rocker, is letting, uh, getting out of your comfort zone and um, facing, facing fears, letting go of the fear factor. It was so much, it just, it blocks our life so much. If you fear, you know, overly, I mean, you've got to be uh, sensible and, and use your common sense, but fear can just stop you uh, enjoying life. Um, I actually, uh, that's another book that I wrote called Lift Your Spirits, and it's about um, the eight years that I suffered from nocturnal panic attacks. And the first nocturnal panic attack I had was 2 o'clock in the morning. I was living on my own. It went on for two hours and I thought, uh-huh, you know, this is it, I'm going to die and it's no good calling ambulance, ambulance, I'll be dead by the time I get here. But anyway, I did survive and my heart was thumping out of my chest. I sort of was almost paralysed and I had, uh, you know, when I finally got to sleep and uh, uh, woke up the next day, I realised that I had six six massages to do, hourly massage to do. And I did ring up that day and, and uh, put them off because I just was drained. But after that, I went to a um, homeopath. I went through the medical route. I went had everything that's imaginable. And uh, it wasn't diagnosed as panic attacks for three years until I found a doctor who suddenly said, you know, oh, you're suffering from panic attacks. And I said, oh, really? Because unfortunately all the medical tests and everything, they just came back normal. And the more they came back normal, the more they just looked at me and thought she's a wacko. And uh, anyway, finally um, I decided that I wasn't going to let the fear of panic attacks, um, you know, affect my life. So I went on with my massage clinic. I went on travelling the world. And uh, I kept very good records of what I was taking, who I'd seen, what practitioners I'd been to, and put it a book in a book called Lift Your Spirits. And it was eight years after I started having panic attacks, and sometimes up to thirteen or fourteen a month, and always at night in the middle of the night. And uh, it wasn't um, for eight years I had them, and finally. Uh, Somebody told me about an esoteric healer who lives in the in the hinterland in Byron Bay, and I went to him and uh, one session, and he said uh, that was in two thousand and three, and he said you will no more have a panic attack, and I haven't since that day. Now, if I had let that fear take over my life, uh, it would have been a very different story. I wouldn't have travelled the world like I I do, and. Uh, I mean, it was in, that was in 2003. In 2005, I won an award as Australia's most adventurous senior and <laughs> won a trip to Vietnam, took my daughter, and uh, then she had to go back to work and I met another friend and we walked over the border from Vietnam into China and we travelled in China doing our own thing, just winging it for accommodation into the in the Yunnan province uh, in China for four weeks. Went right up to the um, Tibetan border to Zhongdian. Was absolutely fantastic. Um, and as I say, if I'd let uh, let my fear take over my life, I wouldn't have had such a such a wonderful life. Oh. What I love about that story, Noni, is, and it's something I've felt intuitively for a very long time. And you know, some people have called me a little bit crazy or a little bit on the woo-woo side, but I'm of the firm belief that if we're open enough 
and we're curious enough, we can always find the answer. And it can be found anywhere. Like you said, in the in the hinterland of Byron, you went and saw an esoteric healer. Now, that worked for you. And who knows what that was, whether it was the power of your belief or the power of his intention or her intention or whatever it may have been. Could have been right place, right time. But what I believe is that you are open and you're curious and you wanted to find an answer. Now, I'm also of the belief, and there's so many rules or there's so many things out there that people say, well, if you fast every day, if you eat this diet or if you meditate or if you do this exercise, this is what works. Now, I'm very cautious about that because what might work for me or might work for you might not work for somebody else. And it's nearly you've got to have that sense of adventure in your own journey and curiosity to see what works for you. And it can change over time. And I'd love to get your take on that as well, because you seem like somebody that just is very curious about your own relationship in this world. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and uh, we are all uh, different. And I mean, your life can change in a heartbeat, and uh, it can affect you forever after. I'm a very big believer in forgiveness. I write a, a gratitude uh, journal every every night. I put uh, five different things that I'm grateful for, uh, and. I think, you know, it, I don't think I was always like this. I think it, uh, it gradually uh, happened that I became open. And one of the things that, I, that really opened me up was in 1986, my daughter was doing the high school certificate and she led a busy, very busy, active life, you know, uh, sport and that sort of thing. And she didn't uh, she was the school captain and she didn't pay much attention to her studies. And she said to me, Mum, uh, about halfway through the year, she said, oh, I'm so disappointed in my half-yearly exams. You know, I've got to do something about it. And I've seen this course advertised called Alpha Dynamics and it's in Sydney. We'd have, You know, I'd have to go to Sydney. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, she's a country girl, you know, naive. I better go with her. Well, not only did she get a lot out of the Alpha Dynamics course, but I did too. It was all about going into the alpha level of the brain and uh, it was the first time I've even heard about it. And uh, over that time, I uh, it just it changed my life really and uh, it changed hers. She did uh, much better in the final exams and uh, I... Uh, one funny story about that is that I got so you know I'm I'm very um, what am I focused on on something if I want to do something and I was determined that I was going to let people know uh, how good it was and they said well we can't all come down here from the southern highlands you'll have to bring it here so I did I and we ran a course I uh, got the fellow who taught it and he taught the course out at Robertson and uh, 75 of my friends <laughs> turned up. <laughs> I was very involved in the local community and I had a lot of different friends in a lot of different areas. So anyway, 75 friends turned up and did the Alpha Dynamics course. It's a mind power course. And, of course, uh, I taught, I was playing in a tennis team and the other three uh, tennis players, I said to them, you know, you've got to do this course, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so they did the course. And we were in uh, division, we, did, we, we were in the local comp in grade five. And uh, the first time they, after they did the course, we uh, 
we did a lot of uh, mental, um, uh, mentally, uh, you know, preparing ourselves and and uh, so forth before we went on the tennis court. And we uh, ended up winning Division Five, and then we got so uh, clever that we got into Division Four, and then we won Division Four, then we won Division Three, then we won Division Two. And we were going, heading right for the top, and then two of the girls, you know, it just so happened that they left the district. So we broke the chain. But we, 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 we just so, and they called us the guru. The other teams called us the gurus because we do used to do before we went onto the court. We used to do a thing called a power chain, and uh, it was all to do with alpha dynamics that we got up there to uh, to win all those divisions. So the proof of the pudding was was in the eating, you know. And I think it it did does give you or did give me a a very positive attitude and showed me that uh, I you know I can heal myself and to take responsibility for myself and that's what it uh, you know what it's all about and this is what I, I try and this is what I attempt I shouldn't use the word try it's quite an negative word. <laughs> what I attempt to do in my um, in the retreats that I run because uh, I put in a bit of everything that I've learned over the years and uh, sort of mix it up, uh, things for the mind, the body and the spirit. And that's something that really impacted on my life. And I still use uh, some of the things, that, the, what's called the memory pegs, if I'm going to uh, got a, sh- a whole lot of shopping to do and I don't want to write it down on a list or something, I'll put things in my memory on the on the memory pegs and um, and I'll remember to get them at the shop. So you know, it's, I'm still using things out of Alpha Dynamics and everything that I've uh, everything that I've done. It's an accumulation of knowledge. It is. It is. And uh, as I say, I don't intend it to you know to stop there. Um, How do you trust your intuition? How do you listen to it, and, and you know when it's when it's your intuition, it is not your ego, you know. My gut feeling and self kinesiology. Okay, talk to me about that. <laughs> I've done courses in kinesiology, and uh, I have uh, read a lot of books about them. And just recently, I've, I've been learning about energy medicine, and that also is another key. Uh, where if you are wanting to test a pill that you should take or something, you put it in front of your uh, solar plexus or, you know, somewhere around your, on your chest and uh, ask, is this the right tablet for whatever you're taking for? And if it's the correct tablet, your body will instinctively go forward and if it's not, it'll go backwards. I told a friend about this and she said, thanks very much. You nearly sent me flying across the room backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't it? She said, yes, it does. So that's one way of testing. And the kinesiology way is putting your thumb and finger together and forming a circle. And with your other finger and thumb, you put them inside and you ask the question, and if you hold strong, it's a yes. And if 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 you pull your fingers apart, it's a no. So that's testing with kinesiology. And that's follow your intuition. I've studied kinesiology. I have a wonderful therapist, different therapists that use kinesiology as their tool, uh, one of their tools for for energy work and also emotional work and physical and structural work, chemical work as well. I'm a firm believer in it and because I studied it 
probably close to 30 years ago. And I did a year of study on it too. I, I see the, um, I understand it and I can see the benefits of it. So you use that as a testing tool for yourself and the energy work to understand if your gut feeling or your intuition is taking you down the path that is safe for you or maybe not safe for you. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, you know, some people use a, um, uh, a, a, a well, you know, that, um, a metal or a coin or a ring or something to to test, but um, I've, I find that those two tests are pretty good. They work for me anyway. Let's talk about uh, the club that you formed as well in uh, many years ago to do with laughter, the happiness. Tell us about that and, and what can that do for an individual or for a group of people? And, and talk us through the inception of that or, the, or the, the start of that and where it went to. Yes, well, a friend of mine who's a drug and alcohol counsellor in the jail said to me, look, I've just, and she's always very um, inventive of what she's, you know, helping people in jails to rehabilitate. And she said, I've just done a course in laughter yoga. And she said, you would be really good good at it because, you know, you're a laughter. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, it's got me into trouble at times. I said, I've had to, you you know, leave restaurants because otherwise I'd have been thrown out because I was out of control laughing. And she said, that's why you'd be so good. So anyway, she told me about how to go and get registered and and to qualify and how to learn to do it. And uh, off I went. And there was a woman there who also lived at Bondi. This was in the early 2000s. And uh, I said to her, well, let's start up a, a, a laughter group at, in Bondi Beach. And she said, what a good idea. Well, that was fine and it's a voluntary thing and we started down at the beach. Uh, we didn't have, you know, go and ask for quick permission from the council or anything like that. <laughs> and one of the, one of the, along came one of the councillors and he said, well, I wonder what the hell we were doing. And uh, I told him and he said, oh, that's terrific. He said, I'll go back and tell them to leave you alone. I said, oh, good. Thanks very much. And we weren't charging people. Um, it was all voluntary. So um, the Bondi Beach Laughter Club was formed and uh, I did that for eight years. At one stage, we ran the World Laughter Club Day and I think over 100 people came and that was absolutely fantastic. A lot of people came who had, you know, life-threatening illnesses or depression or, and they said it was the highlight of their week. And I actually, uh, from that, I was asked to do a laughter session at corporate groups and groups with uh, who have had strokes and groups of kids who have had uh, mental illness in the family and, oh, a whole lot of other things. I've been all over the place with that. And it was very rewarding because we don't tell jokes or anything like that. It was started by Dr. Kataria in India. He took it all over the world and there's groups, you know, all over the world now. And I actually met him and, uh, when, you know, one night we had, we had dinner with him and he's a very... Uh, sort of a, a, a quiet sort of bloke, you know, not the sort of that be something spreading something around the world. But anyway, after years, eight years, it was difficult because the friend that I, I started doing it with actually got cancer and died. And so I was doing it on my own, volunteering every Sunday down at the beach. And uh, I had to get friends in who weren't qualified to take, take over for me if I wanted to go travelling. And so I handed it over to someone else. And I believe it is still still going, but it was a learning experience for me, like anything, you know, uh, you learn as much as you, you teach. 
and it was it was brilliant. Talk me through what a session was like. What would you do? Well, you'd say to people, you'd give them a bit of the history about how Dr. Kataria had a, uh, was researching the benefits of laughter on your health and how it gets the endorphins going, which are the natural painkillers, and how we do a lot of things that help your breathing and help your immune system and your cardiovascular system and so on. And uh, and I say we don't we don't tell jokes or anything. We just you know we just do crazy things to to make us laugh. And uh, things like you know you can be walking an imaginary dog and you're you know walking around with an imaginary dog and an imaginary lead, and so all of a sudden the dog will see a cat and it goes up a tree and you all start screaming and trying to get the, you know <laughs> the cat away the dog away from the cat and you know all <laughs> it leads to some you know funny situations. There's another one called the clamshell and you go up with your arms folded in front of your your face. And you go to another person with their arms folding the place and you open up your arms and go, ah! And and it's even though you're expecting it, it's sort of quite a quite a shock. And of course you start laughing. And then um, oh, we do things like um the hokey pokey and you know, we can't get through that, you know, grown group of adults doing the hokey pokey without getting hysterical. And then sometimes, you know, people get so hysterical that they sort of fall over on the ground. Or they or they get, they go to the ground and I do too and then you end up you know wagging your feet and your legs and you say oh yes you you're a beetle on your back now and all this sort of crazy stuff absolutely crazy that's how you go through laughter club so I believe there's still there's one running at Newtown still I don't know what else uh, is happening locally but yeah it's well worth going and uh, you know you reap the benefits and you keep going back for more most people. Hmm. And even if you can't speak the language, you know, laughter is the, the same in any language. So we had people join in from Asia and India and, you know, all over the place down at the beach and we'd encourage them to join in, you know, we'd say it's free, come and join in. And uh, that's how it went. We're noticing across the Western countries the rates of depression, anxiety, sadness, disconnection to self and to nature that's taking hold and especially even disconnection to to nature and in how we eat these days you know we seem to be so far removed from the basic nature of being a human being and i'd love to understand what your thoughts are about being human and over your eight decades of learning and sharing what you've come to realize that are the real key things that can never be overestimated or, or I should say underestimated when it comes to long-term sustainable human health? Certainly what you eat is a huge bearing on it, if, if not everything. I mean, when I learned about, about the paleo way, I um, got into that uh, very thoroughly and I still basically am paleo, and I suppose that's five, seven or eight years, something now, and uh, I managed to to release a whole lot of weight. I've been had a problem with my, my weight always, but having said that, as you can see, I've never really had it. It's been never been a restriction, but I've always felt uh, just that bit, you know, self-conscious about it in school. I was overweight. I was last to be picked in the teams, and, you know, people made fun of me and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's certainly uh, the paleo way suits me down to the ground. I, 
I can tolerate a little bit of gluten these days, but um, if I'm out, but I certainly, you know, don't uh, eat it at home. And um, I, the only dairy I have, uh, and I do have one coffee a day. In fact, um, recently I haven't even been having that. I've been having a herbal tea instead. But the, the paleo way certainly set me on a, on a very good path. And, uh, and I can see that uh, people who, uh, are, you know, eating, eating fast foods, eating the wrong fats, eating sugar, and they're just loaded with aches and pains and, uh, but um, it's very hard to motivate people to, uh, you know, say to them, you know, what about, you know, giving up um, gluten or giving up sugar or giving up whatever. Uh, they say, oh, yeah, I've tried everything. I say, yeah, you've tried everything, but have you tried, you know, this? And, yeah, but when they do, well, you know, it's made a huge difference to my life. I've always been an energetic person, but once I went paleo, I had more energy. And uh, at one stage, I was playing tennis three times a week, table tennis. That was uh, not competition tennis, but tennis three times a week, table tennis twice a week, doing my 10,000 steps, teaching Qigong twice a week. I have cut down on that a little. But also the brain fog, you know, I was it's having trouble remembering and so forth. And, and, and you know, occasionally I'll forget a name or, or something now, but it's made a huge impact on my life. Uh, by what I eat, what I think. I really uh, attempt to be more positive about my, my thoughts and not be a pain in the neck to my friends because I'm, <laughs> I'm so positive, which I think I probably am a lot of the time. And they say to me, oh, you're the most positive person I know and, you know, you're always thinking positive. And I said, well, you know, you should have a go at it sometime. It's pretty good. But also I, I did a course um eight or ten years ago, called The Artist's Way. And in The Artist's Way, it was uh, it's based on the book by uh, Julie Cameron and uh, it was for people who had artist block and it works for people who have got writer's block. And it actually works for anybody who is blocked in their life. And one of the, well, the main things about The Artist's Way is writing the morning pages. Now, the morning pages is you obviously write in the morning as soon as you wake up. Three full scap pages, handwriting, you can't do it on a computer. You write down anything that comes into your mind, good, bad, negative, positive, dialogue, whatever comes into your mind, you write three pages of dialogue. And I did it religiously for five or six years. I, even when I went on holidays, it was a pain in the neck to I went on a cruise with three other women in, in a cabin and uh, uh, I used to get up early and do the pages. So I said, okay, I'll go out of the cabin. I won't disturb you. I'll go out and I'll write my morning pages, you know, somewhere else. But I used to take, you know, foolscap paper to do it on, on holidays. I'm not as as rigid as that now. But if I need to uh, sort something out, I'll sort it out on the on the page. And it's part of what uh, I teach in the retreat is the morning pages. And it's just amazing how you get it out of your head onto paper and it just desensitizes in some way. So that is something that I, I really, um, really want to put forward to people that 
even if you haven't done the artist's way, if you write three morning pages, you'll find out and you'll have a, you'll look through and have a theme to them. And if you keep them and then reread them, you know, six months later, you think, oh, wow. And you'll see how much more positive you are in your writings. You, you know, you'll initially started by, start by writing all the negative things and they will gradually get more positive and more positive and helps you, you know, one of the, one of the tools to help you sort out your life. Mm. It's a beautiful book. I read it, um, I think it must have been about 20 years ago. It's a fascinating book. And one of my beliefs as, as human beings is we're here to grow and, and remember and to express ourselves in, in our unique ways. And it could be, you know, you could be a specialist at a few things or you can dabble in as many things that take your fancy, so to speak. And, you know, there's no rules. As you know, I've got two daughters that are 13 and 14 and we just spent an hour today on the skateboard ramp confronting fears. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. That's really good. Yeah, I love the way your your kids will have a go at everything and they've, they've become fantastic skiers and obviously going well on the skateboard now. So good, good for you and good for them. Mm. What was really interesting is my oldest daughter has just spent a week in Arnhem Land while Indy, our youngest daughter, has been here. So Indy's had a week of learning how to skateboard on our half pipe and Chili's got back and she wants to be as good as her sister, like within a day or two. And, you know, there were tears today because she's like, oh, I'm scared to do this. But, you know, Indy's being able to do it. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to compare. You don't have to compete. You just do something at your own at your own speed and you don't even have to drop into the ramp if you if you never want to you know it's just how far do you want to take these things and you have to trust in yourself and use it nearly as you said get out of your comfort zone but be sensible and it's really interesting being a parent and watching that unfold and I'd love to get I guess what would you say to young teenagers these days that have all of these things going around, social media, all of these different TV networks, all of this competition, all of this very, I mean, you've seen generation after generation and each generation we have our, I guess it keeps evolving and the technology keeps evolving. And, and I'd love to, for you to be able to say, what would you say to yourself if you're a teenager now in this day and age and how to give yourself words of advice from the older self? Yes, it's it's an interesting concept. It's a whole different ball game from you know when I grew up. And my my parents were very strict, and uh, my mother could uh, stop me in my tracks just by looking at me, you know. And I, I say she ruled me from the grave for a few years too, but I've got over that. I think from that has come I don't know my confidence in myself. And today, kids seem to lack confidence there. They have a lot more fears. I mean, I think there's a lot more opportunities to, you know, to get into to nasty things with the, everything that's around at the moment and violence and, and drugs and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think if, if you can instill in them a self-image uh, of, of, um, of self-confidence and self-discipline and common sense basically 
uh, just to, you know, uh, okay, um, you know, I, I've, I've sort of dabbled in a few things in my youth and I remember, you know, once at the Sydney show when I was about 14, some boy talking me into, you know, smoking a cigarette. Ooh, we thought we were terrible and, you know, terribly uh, excited and, you know, terribly naughty. Uh, luckily we didn't get caught because otherwise I'd have been in for a hell of a, a doozy. Not that my parents ever hit me, but as I said, one more look from my mother and I knew I'd done the wrong thing. It's very hard today because it's so it's such a different world with technology and walking around, you know, on on uh, iPhones and that sort of thing. And I think that we're inclined to overindulge our kids. Most parents that I know today are inclined to over overindulge their kids and not find the balance. You know, it's okay to overindulge them, but you've got to find the balance and got to talk about the guidelines because they need guidelines and they do need to know when they've stepped over them and know that everything is not going to be handed on a plate uh, because they, the treats have gone out of life. You know, I mean, we, it used to be a treat for us to go to the shop and buy an ice cream. It used to be a treat to go to the movies. Well, now all these things are available in your own home. The, the treats are no longer there and, of course, they're wanting more to experience sort of more more treats and more adventurous things, which is, you know, you don't want to uh, stop their spirit of adventure and, and turn them into, you know, having fears. But also, uh, you know, just to be in moderation and just to be sensible, have common sense is and practical, you know. That's the way I brought my kids. And, of course, you know, we grew up on farms and things, so they had to improvise and, you know, if their bike, bike broke down or, you know, something happened, they, they had to work out their own uh, solutions to it most of the time. And I think uh, that's what we tend to jump in and, and sort of help them too much and let them try and work it out for themselves. Or, uh, But then, you know, they just go to the computer and they just Google it. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? I don't know. I, I think uh, it would be a whole new ball game for me bringing up kids today. I mean, I haven't even attempted it with my, my grandchildren. Unfortunately, they live in Canada and I don't see that much of them, but um, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept uh, and it's challenging. It's, it's a challenging thing being a parent and nobody can prepare you for it. But just common sense and, uh, you know, just let them know their boundaries. That's all I, I can think about. Mm. So what's next for Noni? You've travelled quite a lot of the world. You've done so many different courses. What's on the horizon or what haven't you achieved that is on the bucket list, so to speak? Well, I have been to 75 countries and since that's only since I turned 52. Uh, that was when I got divorced. I, I went backpacking around the world and uh, to 18 different countries and it was good because it gave me an idea of which ones I wanted to go back to. And I always like to put one or two new countries on my list. And the other thing I like to do when I'm when I'm travelling is to to go riding. Now, whether that's a horse or a camel or an elephant or a mule or you know whatever, I like to have a go at that. So, um, and I actually, uh, you know, my life has been evolved around horses mainly because my family had a horse stud and a riding school. I'm a qualified riding for disabled teacher. But uh, I actually went to uh, France to see, I was totally obsessed with a, with a horseman called Lorenzo. 
I don't know if you've ever seen him on uh, on YouTube or anything, but he had. And so I thought, well, you know, uh, it's one thing to see him on t- YouTube, but I better go and see him. So I went to Vichy, and he was performing with twelve horses, no saddles, no bridles, and twelve horses, taking them through the most incredible routines over jumps and so forth. And he's standing astride two of them. And, uh, oh, gosh, you know, I, I just was in, so elated that I um, walked back to the uh, place where I was staying and I sang all the way. <laughs> so these are the sort of crazy things I do. But I haven't been to Russia and I'm just debating whether I need need to go to Russia or not. And I haven't been to the Stans, you know, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan and all those so they're a bit sort of on the bucket list, but I'm not uh, going out of my way to um, to go to them. But apart from that, uh, I want to continue uh, running my mind, body and spirit uh, retreats in, in Thailand. I've also, in my world tours, world trips around the world, I've uh, done meditation courses because I've been a meditator for 30 years that came out of the Alpha Dynamics. That was the first time I learned meditation. And uh, I say now, uh, I wouldn't have, I, it's survival for me, uh, meditation. So I have meditated and done retreats in about four or five different countries. I sort of hear about, you know, some wonderful meditation retreat in, you know, some foreign country and, and it doesn't take me long to get to get there and do it. So who knows? I like to, I like to wing it. I don't, you know, I don't like to have things too set in concrete, and I, I don't mind. Uh, you know, I know things change. In fact, you know, everything changes. Nothing is permanent. So um, we'll just see how we go. But uh, you know, I've just about sort of done everything I I, I want to do, um, and I certainly had wanted to go traveller since uh, traveling since I was a teenager, and it sort of never happened. But I I've made up for that since. And, uh, you know, some of the sort of out-of-the-way out way countries that I've been to, Bhutan and Morocco and Mongolia and places like that, and, and it, it just broadens your outlook and, uh, you know, helps you to um, be more uh, inclusive of, of, you know, other, other religions and traditions and, and people. Yeah, so I'm just going to keep on keeping on, and if something turns up, which usually does, I'll grab it and go with both both feet running towards it. Well, I don't think it's any coincidence that you're recording this podcast at my mum Joy's house at the moment, and all I could think then is mum is going to come on one of these journeys with you somewhere around the world, and uh, I'll just leave it. <laughs> I know I can imagine my mum there shaking her head, going, "No bloody way!" But um, who's going to look after the cat, the tiger? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll work up. We'll work that out. Don't you worry, tiger will be all right. <laughs> why there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> uh, I love coincidences and I love timing. But um, Nodi, I just want to say that I love you and thank you for being such a wonderful friend for my mum and an inspiration for me and an inspiration for so many around the world that you share your joy and your wisdom and your laughter with. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Pete. And I love you too. And keep up your good work. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Have a beautiful night. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) The information 
Views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.